I realized that to do real estate, you can't just be having just enough money to pay the next month's mortgage. Wealthy people, they don't sell. Rich people do sell. Rich people flip, right? But wealthy people hold. They, uh, they just hold and hold and hold forever. And it becomes part of their family's legacy and their family trust. I uh, bought this program about real estate from an infomercial back in the day. And uh, I got these boxes and these CDs and I listened to it and it was garbage information. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, everybody, welcome to the show today. We are super excited to bring with you Super Dave Leith. Um, he is this chief visionary author of the Hero Academy, and he helps frontline heroes create an online business based on their story. Dave, we're super pumped to get into that. We'd like to kick it off with a story. Usually it's a crazy real estate experience or, or transaction, but you're a former detective too. So, I mean, we'll just open it up to you. Um, could you just tell us your, your craziest story that comes to mind? So the craziest story that comes to mind is... Uh... I considered myself a real estate investor as a cop, right? I had business cards made up and I owned three properties because like, I thought that that was the direction that I was going to go. I thought I was going to buy a bunch of real estate, but I had uh, one tenant who never paid me on time. The rent was $1,600. He'd give me $1,100 one week. And then the following week, he'd give me an, an additional two or $300. And he never caught up to the actual amount so we got to a point after six or seven months, uh, we're approaching Christmas time. And I was just like, hey, uh, I'm going to, as a Christmas gift to you, I'm going to wipe one month of your rent. And I'm like, the next month, just have the full amount for me. The next month came and he didn't have the full amount. And I'm like, oh my God. I, I, all right. I see. It took me six months to, to get his game, right? I'm like, I see, I see the game. So I had to go to the sheriffs and uh, get myself on the list and ask for courtesy to uh, have them expedite the process and uh, get him out of there. It took, it took I want to say, uh, four to five weeks, which was really fast at that time because they were like, usually it takes a couple of months, but um, they served him with notice and they got him out of there. And then um, at the time I was a, a young cop and I was supporting my my young family and also paying two mortgages which was extremely difficult so i had a choice to make and i regret to this day selling that house because one of the things that i learned about real estate is that wealthy people they don't sell they uh they just hold and hold and hold forever and it becomes part of their family's legacy and their family trust right uh rich people do sell rich people flip right but wealthy people hold. That's something that <laughs> that's something that I learned. Something that I hold. I, I I believe now, and and I wish that I had never sold that property. I sold in two thousand seven, just before the crash, at just a twenty k loss, not a profit, just a twenty k loss. Which I was uh, grateful that 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 was all that I lost. But um, yeah, that was a good learning experience because uh, I realized that. To do real estate, you need to have six months in the in the bank, you know, for things that go wrong and to pay the mortgage. Like you can't just be having just enough money to pay uh, the next month's mortgage. Like it, totally. it just doesn't work because things things go wrong. 
you know, bad tenants, uh, you got to fix stuff. And I, uh, <laughs> if I still had that property, when the uh, ex asked for a divorce and said she wasn't happy in the marriage anymore, then I could have just said, hey, you go live in that house. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, man. I, but I just, think super great lesson right out the bat. I mean, you had a yeah. bad experience, lost 20K, which, you know, kudos yep. to you that it was only 20K. We've yep. interviewed investors that have lost hundreds of thousands. And we've inter interviewed investors that have lost like money on 12 in a row. So it was just, just one, but your mindset is still, Hey, that, that purchase was not only worth the lesson, but it was actually still worth keeping. Right. Which yes. is, which is a lesson in and of itself. One thing I want to do guide us into right away. You started our pre-call show off talking about Jesse Itzler being your coach. Yes. And I know that name because I know quite a bit about David Goggins. I've listened to some of his books. I, I want to dive into, give us a little like 30 second, one minute vision of how did you go from start to like where you're hiring some really, really high top-notch coaches and then give us some of the, the insights you're learning. So, so my coaching journey started with Bob Proctor. I became one of his life success coaches. And, uh, that was because I went to a real estate investors club. I, I love to tell the story of the fact that I uh, bought this program about real estate um, from an infomercial, right? Back in the day. And uh, I got these boxes and these CDs and I listened to it and it was garbage information. Like it was like really basic, right? <laughs> but the one thing that was the most valuable thing and worth the price of the entire package was he said to associate with other people that are doing the thing that you want to do, right? So I joined a real estate investment club and I was around a lot of successful people. And um, at that, at one of the meetings that I was at, uh, Bob Proctor's CDs were on the table. And I listened to his CD and he said, what if your annual income became your monthly income? And that idea was such an incredible seed that was like, you know, planted in me that I sought him out and I flew to Toronto and uh, I actually thought, that he was the owner of Procter and Gamble. <laughs> you know, I was in my twenties and, uh, I thought he was like the owner of this multi-billion dollar national corporation, Procter and Gamble, because <laughs> his name was Bob Procter. And I realized afterwards, I'm like, oh no, that's not what he does. He's a speaker and he's a coach. And, but he does talk about multiple streams of income a lot. Right. So ever since then, um, I had been on this path of always having a coach like every single every single season of my life pretty much every every year I've had different coaches and um, one of the things that they've all taught me is that uh, there's a power inside of your story so when you learn to tell your story really well and you can tell stories uh, people get attracted to your story if you have momentum and and you have a good story, right? One of the things that I learned from Jesse Itzler is that uh, he started a lot of businesses before he really knew like what all the the plays were inside of that business. So he said, but he'd he'd be in rooms that were way above his head and way beyond his skill level. But he said what they cared about was the story behind it and the momentum. Like I have some really good news that I want to share with you guys about uh, a story for me. Like I went to Arizona, 
right? And I competed in a Grant Cardone competition, 10X stages. And I won a golden ticket to speak on um, his semifinalist stage. If I win in Miami, which is coming up this December, uh, if I win in Miami, I'll speak at GrowthCon in front of about 40,000 people. The biggest stage I've ever been on in my entire life. So I just have to win top three. So I told that story in front of Jesse Itzler's community. And just sharing that story, he reached out to me and said, hey, I want to help you win that, win that stage. And he gave me his personal cell phone number. And I was like... Oh my God. And, and I was like, that's the power of sharing your story. That's the power of being in momentum. And like when you're winning, other people want to be around you winning. So if you can, not a story of how great I am, but just a story of like, Hey, I recently did this and I, and I, and I'm winning right now. Like I'm, I'm on a high, like you guys could probably tell, like I'm, I'm really on a high cause uh, I got this big, scary scary goal coming up in December. And, uh, I'm practicing for that. Um, writing my, my next book. This is my first book pathway to prosperity. And it's on Amazon. That book was for no particular audience. It was just for the personal development community. And I wrote it just because my mentor told me, Hey, you have a book inside of you and you need to sit down and start writing it. And I, I'm, I consider myself a good student. So I sat down at my kitchen table. I did it the really hard way. And I wrote out pieces of paper. I wrote like a page a day for like nine months. And my, the math in my head was if I wrote a page a day, I'm like, at the end of a year, I'd have like a 300 page book. I didn't, I didn't write for 300 days, but <laughs> But I was like, yeah. hey, if I write a page a day, I'll have a book. And it took me nine months. Um, I did it the really hard way and I got it edited and I got it published. And I was like really proud of that. So like I can call myself an author, but now I'm working on book number two. And uh, book number two is all about coaching. So, hang on, book hang on, number hang on, two hang on. has no well, title. Actually, yeah, I was, I was, let me pause you real quick. <laughs> I know, because... I was just going and going and going and going. <laughs> Uh, we, I mean, we kind of jumped over like five questions I had. So let's kind of backtrack yeah. a little bit. Let's do it. Um, so, I mean, I would love to, I mean, you focus on the story thing. So I'd love to get into that. I mean, obviously the fact that Jesse Itzler heard your story and reached out to you directly. I mean, this is not like a small dude. Like this guy is a rapper. He started off as a singer. Yeah. He he owns the the coconut water company. I think he owns the the basketball team. And in Atlanta he sold, he so sold like, Marquee Jet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's not a small fish and no. you know, your story obviously inspired him to reach out to you. So like, my question would be like, how do you figure out what your story is and how do you make it the most impactful it could possibly be? Uh, one of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned and heard was you're most powerfully positioned to help the person who you once you were. So whatever you were struggling with and whatever you overcame, every, everyone has dragons that they need to slay, right? And uh, everyone's on the hero's journey. Uh, whether they wore a uniform or not, right? We all have our own version of a hero's journey. I just focus on what society calls heroes, you know, the military, police officers, firemen, nurses, um, paramedics, but 
everyone has their own version of a hero's journey where like they got they got a call or they heard a whisper of a voice right and then they either refused the call or they tried to do it alone and they struggled or failed right they they met some kind of a challenge then they met a mentor and that mentor helped them through the challenge then they went on to face the dragon that's the that's the hero's journey. And then after they faced the dragon, right, they went back and they shared what they learned. So if you can, if you can think back to where it was that you were struggling, and I know a lot of your audience is in real estate, right? So everyone has struggled somewhere in real estate. <laughs> or might be soon where that how big, things are changing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> where that big struggle is, is a pain point for someone else. And you have the ability, no matter what type of business you have, to offer coaching as an additional form of income, an additional income stream. Like if you look at some of the biggest names, like I'd love to point out Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone offers coaching in the form of digital products, right? And, and books, and you can't hire him one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> you know, it's just- You can, or Mosey did it, but it's like 120 grand. Yeah, yeah, 120 grand yeah. for two hours, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could you could hire him. It is possible if you offer enough money, right? Is right. But you're talking exactly. high six you're talking high six figures to hire him to be your coach, right? Yep. Here's the thing. If Alex Ramosi is hiring Grant Cardone to be his coach and other people are hiring Alex Ramosi to be their coach, why can't you take something from your own story, right? Something that includes your current business now and create a coaching program. You can, the beauty of coaching is you can do it from anywhere. You only need your cell phone, right? Or maybe a cell phone and a laptop. And you can charge what other people are willing to pay. Like, you know, right now people are willing to pay a hundred K for a Grant Cartone to coach them personally, to have personal time with him. So whatever, whatever your level of success is determines how much other people are willing to pay you, right? And, and how much value you can offer to them. And, and it really depends on the result that you can get for people. Like you asked me about your story, right? So your story is basically who you were, right? who you are today and who you can help because all people really care about is what's in it for me. Like they're not listening to hear uh, how great you are <laughs> or what you've overcome. They, they're listening to hear, well, how can I, how does that apply to me? That's what everyone, everyone's favorite radio station, W I I F M. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's dive into this because you've now been coached by Grant Cardone in some capacity. You're on his stages, Jesse Itzler, and I'm sure a number of others, Bob, Bob Proctor. Yeah. I've had a lot of coaches. <laughs> a lot of coaches. Do you only have one coach at a time or do you have multiple at a time? Like, Give us your idea of what, what's your take on the right frequency. Do you pick one skill? And, and just kind of give us some breakdowns. You've given us a little bit of what you've learned from, say, like uh, Jesse Itzler, but, but give us more. Like, what did you learn from Grant Cardone? How many coaches do you have? 
So I try to keep one coach at a time, um, depending on how long the program is and, and how it's structured. So some coaches will only meet with you in a group setting uh, once a month, uh, depending on how busy they are. And some will meet with you on a one-on-one uh, laser coaching style where you get 15 minutes to ask them a question. You can email them the question beforehand, and then you can meet up 15 minutes to, to talk about it. Uh, it really depends on their style and how intensive the coaching is. I, I don't like to have too many voices in my ear. So like I have a speech coach, I have a speaking coach and right now I'm only using him because, uh, I have a lot of people that hear my talk and they want to give me advice, but, um, I know that if you have too many voices in your ear, it's, it's kind of like too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, one, one coach will tell you, uh, to do your marketing this way. And another coach will tell you, no, no, no you shouldn't do it that way. Try it this way. So until you've, until you've completely exhausted what that one specific coach is telling you, I, I don't think you should have more than one coach in one specific area. Like I've had multiple coaches at a time where like I had a nutritionist, he, the guy, I saw him in the gym and he was just completely shredded. And I was like, dude, do you eat sugar? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I do. And uh, I was like, all right, give me your number. And then we connected and he became my nutritionist. He became my nutritional coach. But at that time, I also had a speaking coach as well. So like they were completely different fields. Um, you know, making time for him once a week wasn't challenging and it didn't interfere with anything that my speaking coach was telling me. I also have a marketing coach who I meet with one-to-one. -one. And um, if I don't do what he told me to do, then he won't meet with me again so like <laughs> so that's how that's how his coaching is structured let's like he'll give you homework and before you meet with him again he'll uh you know write an email did you complete your homework did you do what you were supposed to do whether it's like uh outreach or whether it's what whatever it is um so, so let's break do this it, down yeah, yeah so you have a marketing coach a speaking coach and a nutrition coach like, yeah, I don't I'm have the nutritionist just, anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're already ripped and it's all good. Um, I, 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 I know what I need to do as far as tracking and just like going to the gym. Uh, I'm in good shape. I'm not in phenomenal shape. I'll say that. There, there you go. So you, it sounds like you made some steps forward. So, but, but yes. like, I'm assuming a lot of our audience is going to be like, how in the world am I going to afford this? You know, I'm not as lucky as Super Dave. And I'm able to get Jesse Itzler from just, you know, being me. And so how, how do you afford all these coaches? And if you're not paying for them, which I'm thinking maybe you are, maybe you aren't. No, how, I pay. How do you, get, pay. <laughs> how, do you get access, how do you get access to these coaches for free if you're not paying? So if you're not paying, right, um, there's this thing called the library, uh, a really, really inexpensive way to learn from, I, like I've had a lot of mentors who, who have never met me and probably never will but I use Audible. And one thing that I learned from Alex Ramosi, which I tell everyone about this tip, if you are listening to a great book, get the hard copy also, and you'll get the, you'll get the information in two modalities because your eyes will be going over the information and you'll also be taking it in through your ears, right? And it also helps you to focus on the material better, better and retain it better. So like that's one tip that it, it's a um, productivity tip 
that I learned from him. From Jesse Itzler, I learned about uh, compressing time and uh, eliminating things and just like seeing what other activities you could do. Like, for, for example, I, I was telling you guys before we started recording, a lot of times I'll walk on the treadmill for 15 to 30 minutes. That's my either pre-workout or my post-workout. And when I work, I'm always on my cell phone. I'm either writing a page or I'm thinking about marketing. I'm writing an email to someone. Uh, and that's, that's the time when I'm, I'm, I'm doing those things. Like I'm always doing something on my phone and I, I'm listening to music. I'm listening to an audio book. I'm doing something while I'm doing something else. So like, you know, obviously when I drive, I'm listening to an audio book when I'm on the treadmill, if I'm not writing an email or writing, writing some kind of random thought that I have, uh, then I'm listening to an audio book. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in the physical and I'm also getting in the mental and the, uh, and the marketing aspects too. So that's like one of those tips that like is so incredibly valuable that if you implement it, like, Hey, what else can I be doing during this time? And, uh, it's not really multitasking cause I don't have to think about walking, you know, like I, I don't believe yeah. in the idea of multitasking. I believe in the idea of focus, like being laser focused on something. But, um, I actually feel like I'm thinking better when I'm walking and some people have walking desk, you know, for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So thank you for sharing some of the insights that you've gotten from some of your coaches. So, I mean, if we're going to break this down in simplest terms, because you've, you talked about having multiple coaches at the same time, if you do have multiple coaches at the same time, make sure that everybody kind of stays in their lane so that yes. you're not getting conflicting points of view. So you get distracted and you don't exactly know which way to go. Yes. You have a marketing coach. He's the guy you go to for marketing. You have the nutritionist. If you have advice regarding food you'll ask him you won't mar you won't ask the marketing guy right he's not gonna be able to help you out much um so yeah make sure that if you do have multiple coaches everybody has a specific lane that they're in um that's a tremendous point one Thank of the for one of the up. reasons why i love coaches so much is because they i consider it like I'm, I'm a gamer right like i was telling you guys i love chess and uh, i grew up on nintendo and and uh xbox i grew up on all those systems i'm a gamer so i understand cheat codes right grand theft auto cheat codes and one of the biggest cheat codes of life is having a mentor having a coach having someone that's done the thing that you're trying to do and they're just going to take you there so much faster like if you're trying to climb for the first time or parachute from a from a plane i think climbing is a better better analogy. If you're trying to climb, you're going to climb so much faster with an experienced climber. You're just going to, you, you are, you know, it's like, it's so obvious The most elite athletes have coaches, right? And then we as entrepreneurs, we try to figure it out on our own and we try to watch YouTube videos, <laughs> you know, and try to like, yeah, I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about the accessibility of information. And so let me break this down. So basically, like if you go to a Grant Cardone and you've never done any sales at all or advertising, it's probably not the right fit because the advice he's going to give is going to so high level, so high level. And so yep. talk to me about like, do you think at all about what coaches to go to based on your level, based on the information they're giving? Like, how do you structure? That is a phenomenal question because... I was watching a training by Grant Cardone where he was talking about being an undercover billionaire. 
And he was talking about the need to make a million dollars in 90 days. And he was talking about how you can do it too. And, and the level of information, like it was so high level. I was just like, I don't know if I can make a hundred thousand dollars in 90 days. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy and the drive to do, to, to actually do that. You know, like, um, I think it's important to choose someone who's just a few steps ahead of you. You know, like if you, if you go to a networking meeting and you talk to someone, you shake someone's hand and you kind of got get the idea, like I, I, I'll use podcasting for, as a perfect example, say, say like I I've released uh 31 episodes of my podcast. You guys have recorded over a hundred episodes of your podcast. Like there's something there that I can learn from you guys, your system, uh, like your team. There's, there's something that like, if I dig in deep enough, like I can definitely learn from networking with you guys. Right. So in choosing your coach, um, there's two schools of thought, right? You want to, you want to dream big and think big. Right. But if someone's giving you advice, that's so far and it's like, it's so far advanced from where you actually are and they can't remember they can't remember being where you are now. Um, I don't know if that's the necessarily the right person or the right fit. Like that's a decision everyone has to make for themselves. But coming from someone who's hired a lot of people, right? I've been given advice that was way, way beyond where I was thinking at the time. And they didn't see it. They didn't see it, but like I felt it. And it's, and it's all about feelings, right? It's all about how you feel about what you've been directed to do, what you've been advised to do. And if you feel like you're going to fail, then, um, you know, what's the quote? If you feel, if you think you can, or you think you can't. Right. So the, <laughs> yeah, you want to find someone who's like just slightly ahead of you in where you're trying to go. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. So let's kind of get into your story now, because this is something that you parrot a lot, um, teaching other people how to tell their story. I would love to hear your hero's journey. I know you're a former detective. I think you're still a detective, aren't you? I am. Let's yeah. get into that. I was, I was going to yeah. correct. I was going to correct you and tell you, yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> still an active duty detective. So, um, so my story begins with like being, wanting to be a superhero, right? jumping off the, my, my mother's couch and tying capes around my neck with my brothers chasing me. And uh, both of my brothers are 5'11", and I'm not, which is very upsetting. <laughs> uh, my older brother was one of my first heroes. And unfortunately, he fell to drug addiction. And he's still a drug addict to this day. My younger brother, my baby brother, uh, the homicide detectives came and told my mother that her baby boy was killed, stabbed at a party at 17 years old. And um, so what did I do? I became a police officer. <laughs> yeah, I, um, that, was a, that was a tragic, tragic event that my mother never really recovered from. It brought on like early Alzheimer's disease and she passed away at young age of 70. You know, she lived a full life, but she had Alzheimer's for like probably 20 years. Um, I became a young father at 19 years old, right? So, uh, I don't have any baby mamas out there. I had one, one wife, <laughs> one, one baby mama. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want baby mama drama. So when she told me she was pregnant, uh, my father wasn't in my life. 
I had a decision to make. It was become a pilot or become a police officer. And I chose police officer because I knew it was more secure. And at the time, a lot of pilots were getting laid off from jobs. So I chose police officer. And I really thought that I was just going to do it for like 20 years, right? I was like, I'll just do 20 years. I'll support the family, be in and out. But raising a family and uh, getting promoted to detective, it led me down a path of just kind of being comfortable. Like they call uh, civil service, um, frontline heroes, you know, police officers, nurses, firemen, they call it the golden handcuffs because you make just enough money to be comfortable, but not enough that you really have life freedom where you can travel and have all the time that you want. Um, so I started looking around for ways to create that type of freedom, right? That's why I started seeking out coaches and that's why I started seeking out real estate and, and, uh, marketing and digital business and things like that. So I, w I wanted to be a full-time digital marketer. That's, that's what I wanted. And I still, I still want to own a hundred doors someday, someday in the near uh, I would say next 10 years, I want to own a hundred doors of real estate property, uh, whether that's apartments or whether it's uh, storage, whatever it is, I want to own a hundred doors. There's magic in the number 100. We were talking about it before, right? A hundred, anything. It's just, there's magic in it. Um, so after 24 years of seeing some of my coworkers commit suicide, three of them, uh, getting burnt out myself and feeling burnt out. I, I sought out more coaches. Right. And the if I can, if I can one, pause you for just a second. Yeah. So being in police work is, is very, very difficult because you're seeing the worst of society. Yeah. And generally entrepreneurs are in the complete opposite side of the spectrum. They're like living in these happy fantasies, most of which never come true for a lot of them, but nonetheless, there's a perpetual optimism that goes on. Yes. Can you describe like one, the difference between being in the police world and being in the entrepreneur world, but how, how do you keep your positive sense about you being a detective while chasing these dreams? Well, I think, uh, I love the title of your podcast on, uh, freedom chases. You know, I, I think it's, it's the dream that pulls me. Um, it's the dream that, that, that pulls me out of bed to, to wake up uh, four hours before work and go and start writing my next book. It's the dream that has me performing on stages and it's the dream that has me create this podcast. And it's the reason why I'm doing all these things. Like people from the outside might look at me and it's like, you woke up at three forty-five. What? <laughs> yeah. It's because like I wake up and I have like so many my, like my mind is bursting with ideas and I'm like so energized from the dream. And like, like I was telling you guys before, I I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing wins. So once you start seeing wins and you start seeing momentum, it, it grows and picks up on itself. And it like, it snowballs into this magnificent obsession, which is a great yeah. book, by the way. I want to dive more into dreams because we're like huge on wanting to un understand human psychology. Like, I want to know more about what you mean when you mean dreams. Like, I just saw the short recently online of Russell Wilson running out the gate or the tunnel 
into practice. So nobody's there, but he's still holding his hands out like he's receiving all of these high fives and applause. You could tell his affirmation level is really high. He's visualizing what it's going to be like. Is that what you mean when you say dreams? Like you're waking up in the morning already assuming that you're arrived at the hundred doors at all these dreams? Or are you just talking about just simply getting up and saying, hey, like I just get straight to work? No, it's the night before I know that I'm going to the gym, right? So like that's just something that I know. It's part of my, it's part of my being. It's part of my identity. But also part of my identity is being a dreamer and like being an optimist, like I work with so many people that are cynical and they're like, uh, you know, talking about this job, like, uh, you know, like it's so shitty, <laughs> you know, and, and like policy and politics and like, it's like, Hey, you can focus on politics if you want to, but I'm focused on how I can collaborate with people and how I can like create something like we're all creators, right? Uh, no matter what you believe in terms of God or spiritual world, we have the ability to create things. So like, I truly believe in the fact that I'm an architect and the fact that I'm a builder and I'm, I'm a dream, I'm a dream builder. So like I can write something down on paper. I can, I can go out and find the plans from someone that's already built that thing. Right. Hence the code. I can follow I can, you're right. I can follow the plans because the plans are what the architect has created. Right. And then you can, you can go out and build that thing. And, and you're, and I, I have this line in my book that you are the dreamer, you are the architect and you are the, um, you're the actual builder as well. You know, you're the contractor. So you have to get your hands dirty and you have to put up the walls of the stream. If you write it down on paper, that's the first step of getting it out of your head, right? Now you can look at it and I, like, I'm a big guy, I'm a big note taker and uh, like physical notes. I have a journal, but I also like when I don't have access to my journal, I'm a big note taker in my phone. I make uh, voice notes and I make, uh, you know, Google doc notes and, and, uh, and iPhone notes also. So I'm a big note taker. And like when I have an idea for like building a coaching program, right? Like how, how can I get 10,000 people to, uh, to do this program? Right. And th then I just start reverse engineering it. Right. Okay. Do this, 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 right. Step one, step two, step three. Right. And, uh, how can I get a thousand people to pay me ten ten thousand dollars? Whatever, whatever it is, uh, ten thousand yeah. people to pay me one thousand dollars. It's just a matter of doing the math and providing enough value for people that they want to they want to sign on with you and they want to see what you're about. And when you tell a good story, right, and then you offer something valuable, it becomes a no brainer. Like, yeah, hell yeah, I want to work with this guy. <laughs> you know, totally. I want to ask you a off the wall question and we didn't prep you for this question. So that's okay. I love, feel, I love those. If you can only pick one relationships, the relationships you built so far in your career, not, not any additional ones, just the relationships you have or the skills that you have, which one would you choose? Oh, that is a phenomenal question. I would, I would choose the relationships because if you, if you, 
there's a great book, Who Not How, right? Yeah. Great, great book, right? So if so if I don't have the skills, I think this is an easy one to answer. It, it sounded it sounded tough at first, right? But I thought about it, like this is the beauty of listening to audiobooks and and studying all the time, right? If you don't have the skills, but you have the relationships with the people that do have the skills, and they're willing to help you because you've built those relationships over time, you don't need the skills. <laughs> you just need the relationships. It's it's like it's like anytime you don't know how to do something, you just have to check your phone and say, okay, who do I know that does know how to do this? Like if I don't know how to build a funnel, I, I got people in my phone that I could just reach out to and I'd be like, hey, Joey, I need a little bit of help. Can you give me 15 minutes of your time to help me build this funnel out? Right. And and Joey will help me help me build the funnel out. And if I if I need if I need like a little help with my podcast, I'd be like, Matt, yo, I'm struggling with this. Can you can you help me figure out how to schedule five guests a week, how to compress time? And you'd be like, Yeah, no problem. Just do this. Schedule them all on the same day. Schedule them hour back to back to back, you know? And I'm like, Yes. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Because I didn't have the skill beforehand, but I had the relationship. Like we connected, you know, Tim and I, we talked for, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour we talked for, right? That's how you yeah, build, that's how you, that's yeah. how you build relationships just by seeing how you can help people, right? Seeing what, how you can collaborate with them and what you can do for them and um, offering help before you ask for, before you ask for help. Without a doubt, hundred percent, hundred percent, the relationships, hundred percent, easy, yeah, easy. I was about to say, um, I I agree with your response. Um, it was a phenomenal question, Matt. But I mean, easily take the relationships over the skills. Um, a hundred times out of a hundred, um, as long as you have the good relationships already. I guess if you're starting from nothing, you might want to lead into your skill set, but start building those relationships because they're super important. Yes. Um, so, um, we were talking about this, I think, in the pre-call. So. Um, you mentioned being a detective and how important asking questions is being a detective. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit too. Um, if you had only three questions to ask people to get to know them better and to establish the relationship, what three questions would you ask? Uh, okay. Question number one is tell me your story. Cause I, I would, I would just like, Hey man, tell me your story. What, you know, Tell me who you are. I, I don't I don't know you, but I want to. That's question number one. Tell me your story. Question number two is, what do you want? What do you What are you trying to build? Right? What do you, What do you want? And if I know what you want, then I know how to help you. And question number three is, do you need help with that? That's it. Boom. That's it. I, that, that was, that was a marketing lesson from Evan Pagan, but you could say it's from super Dave. <laughs> All right. You could say it's from super Dave, but that's a marketing lesson from a genius of marketing right there. Not me, not me, not me, but that's a marketing lesson. Tell me, tell me wh who you are. What do you want? And do you need help with that? And if they say no, then all right, cool. Good luck with that. If they say yes, then you, you figure out how you can help them. That's it. And this is such a, like an important discussion because 
we do a lot of sales training. We've sold millions of dollars of products in multiple industries over the phone. And the craziest thing is that when people go to learn sales, the question is always, hey, how do I become a hard closer? And I always laugh now that I'm on this side of it because I'm like, well, if you're actually good at sales, you get to know people, you find out what they want and you get them what they want. And it's the easiest thing in the world. The close is the easy part, not the hard part if you're good at sales. And so anybody that's having a hard time closing is generally just, they're just failing at the first two questions. And I love- I saw you laughing. I saw you laughing as I was answering the question. (laughs) Yeah. You said, you said, would you like help with that? Like our close is so similar to that. It's crazy. It's, you know, like, like, let's let's say we, we formulate what they want. And then we're like, Hey, would you like me to come by at four o'clock so that we can help you knock this out? Like, that's like, it's like a three word difference from what you're saying is our, is our close if we've done one and two extremely well. So like what you're saying is so awesome because it, it shows that it's more in alignment psychologically than anything else because it works in detective work and it works in uh, sales as well. So as a detective, like, do you get the opportunity to like do the interrogations? Uh, is I that do. part of your- I, I do. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, and I actually, I, I call it, I call it being good in the box, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so before you, before you start in, cause I want to get some insights and I, I want to get another story. We usually only ask for one, but I want another one. So one of my best friends, uh, and one of my real estate clients, uh, he does some of the interrogations in our local area. And so he, a lot of times ends up interrogating like the child molesters. So we were going to a charity dinner one time and we were all driving together and he was like telling us this heart wrenching story of how he had to befriend this child molester in the interrogation to get him to open up and share. And that's so where, get... that's where I learned my skills actually, because I used to be in special victims. See, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, okay. Me, so, so you gotta, you gotta link honest. me up. Yeah. You gotta link me up with your buddy who okay. told that story to you. You gotta link me up with him because I, I'll have him on the podcast because we have that in common. I spent two and a half years in special victims dealing with sex abuse and physical abuse. And, uh, I remember being in, uh, was, I think I was in Colombia because I like to travel. Pre-COVID, I was doing two stamps. The, the goal was two stamps a year, uh, you know, foreign countries trying to get the stamps on the passport. And uh, I've been to Philippines, Tokyo, uh, but I was in Colombia in, in a beach. Uh, and uh, people, you know, eventually they start talking with you and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I work in special victims. And they're like, like the television show? And I'm like, not quite, but you know. And then when I would say sexually abused children, you could see the mood drop in the room <laughs> uh, wherever I was. And I just hated, I hated it, but the work, the work was really fulfilling, right? I got out of there. Now I'm doing like robberies and assaults. And occasionally I do have an adult sex victim. Uh, a very funny one is the young lady who was an obvious, uh, addict, obvious drug addict. Like she came in, her eyes were just like, she looked like she was still high, even at the hospital. Um, she said she was raped by five guys and I asked her to describe them. She said she was tied up also. And I asked her to describe them. And she said five 50 cent type characters. (laughs) Do you know what 50 cent is? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, she said five 50 cent type characters and, um, you know, me being me, I'm like, okay, can you describe them a little bit more detail? She's like, they were black guys. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what would they look like? She's like, they all kind of look alike. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm like, okay, I write that down. I'm like, all right, this is a good start. This is a good start to this interview. I'm like, I'm not really building rapport here. <laughs> so, so but I did. How'd you, I did how'd, you, how'd you keep your cool, man? Or did it was not uh, at all? Because it was yeah. it was funny. It was actually yeah. funny to me. It was funny yeah. to me. She's like, Fifty Cent type characters. I told my girl. <laughs> I told my girl the story, and uh, so I asked her. I'm like. Uh, I'm looking, I'm like, do you have any marks? Did they beat you up? And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, so they were all gentle. Hmm. <laughs> gentle while tying you up. That's really nice. Hmm. <laughs> right, so I look at the arms. There's no marks on the arms. Um, we get her phone data. She gives permission to search her phone. I give it to computer crimes. They download the phone. Uh, she had turned off her location services because she was an escort. And just before she turned off her phone, she had said, pick me up at this location. And um, the computer guys, they were able to determine that she was opening her phone like for hours at a time and like shopping online and like looking at stuff. So I confronted her with that fact. I was like, hey, I'm not mad at you, but uh, you totally lied to me about being tied up. I'm like, you want to tell me the real story? The real story is she was getting high with uh, a guy friend of hers who happened to be a black guy. She wasn't racist, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she was getting high with a guy friend of hers. And um, the other guy was supposed to give her, she, she performed some favors for him. He was supposed to give her a bag of crack, but instead he gave it to her friend who she was with. Another guy came in and had sex with her. So she ended up having sex with like three guys and then two other guys watched. And I'm like, okay, so that's the real story. The real story is it was a drug transaction and uh, we do not have a rape here. So that, <laughs> that was that was the true story. And that happened earlier this year. That was a real story where um, I call it the 550 cent type guys who were gentle rapists. <laughs> <laughs> so I have all kinds of questions about this story, but I so guess say, that's two dollars and fifty cents, right? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> T take us through the lessons that you learned in these interrogations. Like, what are some principles that you've learned that you apply to business that you apply to your life uh, that are a result of of being in the interrogation side? Um, one of the things that I've applied is I try to understand the person. Uh, first, I always come from a place of I'm on your side and uh, tell me, you know, just tell me your story. Tell me. And, and then I also tell them, like, sometimes people come in and they want to tell me about something that happened, uh, like a robbery, right, for example. And they don't necessarily want to press charges. They just want to report it and they want to tell me about it. So, like, like I was saying, what do you want? So that, that's something I'll ask them. Uh, after they tell me their their stories, like, well, what do you want to do about this? Are you like, what are you looking to do? And sometimes they'll say, I just want to report it, and I'll just notate that, and then the case is done, right? And then other times, most I'd say eighty to ninety percent of the time, they want to pursue it and they want to press charges. So um, that's just something that I've learned about people is that you can't assume anything with anyone. You just don't know. Uh, one of the things I learned. On the business side, right? You take this with from from police work to to the business side. You can never assume how much money someone has, and I've I've learned this lesson from the police side and also from the business side, because I was talking to someone online who had spent over ten thousand dollars on a game doing microtransactions, 
And I said to him, I was like, dude, how much money do you make? <laughs> and he didn't make that much money. He, he was like uh, 110K, right? And, he's, and he spent 10K. But like that, that told me, I was like, never assume how much, because you don't know what type of sources of income people have and where they're getting their money from. You just never know who has money. So like perfect example, I walked into a uh, BMW dealership and I think I was in sweats after leaving the gym and the guy didn't give me the time of day. Like, it's amazing. I walk into Costco in a suit and tie and uh, some of the, the workers are like trying to like fall over me and they're like, how can I help you, sir? You know, what can I, you need help looking for anything? And cause they don't know if I'm like from the corporation or something. Cause I, that's, a, I give that appearance. Right. So like, they're trying to be extra helpful when you're in a suit and tie, but uh, when you're in sweats, like people make assumptions about, and they make wrongful assumptions about appearance all the time. And it's one of the things that I learned is that you just don't make assumptions about people because you don't know and until you ask, Hey, do you actually have money? <laughs> you know, you have money for this. Uh, yeah, I got, I got millions sitting in the bank. I got, you know, I, I had a, I had a rich aunt, you know, uh, you just never know who has money and who doesn't. So don't make assumptions about whether or not someone can afford your service, uh, or invest in your project. That's, that's, that's a huge lesson. Oh, yeah, that is without a doubt true. Don't judge a book by their cover. I mean, if you look at pictures of paparazzi pictures of billionaires like Mark Zuckerberg and folks like that, they tend to be wearing sweatpants. Um, sweatpants are standard attire for me. If I'm wearing jeans, I'm probably doing something special. Um, <laughs> so um, I yeah, love I, mean, I love the golfer. Me personally, I love the uh, golfer yeah. look like slacks yeah. and uh, like a polo slacks and like a nice casual pair of like shoes that look um not dressy but just like you know casual and sporty like like hush puppies like that's my favorite type of look uh clean but not like you know simple you know like yeah zuckerberg i i think he him and um steve jobs right steve jobs had a very limited wardrobe because it cut down on the decisions that you have to make every day. Like uh, when I go to work, because I'm still a detective, I like to throw that out there. It's part of my story, right? When I go to work, I have a choice of a blue shirt or white shirt. That's, that's it because it cuts <laughs> down on decisions. So like I have to make a split second decision in the morning. Am I going to choose white or blue today? And it, it really cuts down on decision time. So, uh, uh, where I was going with that. I was just saying, keep it yeah. simple. Billy, Billy, billionaires keep it simple. We should keep it simple too. Definitely. Without a doubt. Um, so cool. I mean, let's get into what you're doing. Um, helping other heroes, right? So you're helping other heroes start coaching. Yeah. So like, let's get into Big believer what you're of doing coaching. There. I know I already said that. So like how... Yeah, like how how are you helping other people? Obviously, you have other coaches, and you're passing on their wisdom. So let's let's talk about how that process looks. Yeah, I've been in the coaching space now as, as a coach myself for the last I want to say 15 years um, as a success coach and as a brand strategist. Now now I'm more of a brand strategist, and I help first responders with their story because I I dove deep into. Uh, storytelling and um, going to storytelling shows. And then I help them with their offer because if you have a great offer, 
right? Like Alex and Rosie's book, uh, make offers so, so good that people feel stupid for saying no. If you have a Grand Slam offer and you have a great story, then you have the starting points of a great business. So I believe my own personal belief is that if you have 15, 20 years in law enforcement or in nursing, in the military, then somewhere inside there, there's a tremendous story that has the ability to help someone else in the areas of health, wealth, or relationships, or even technology, right? Those are like the four major categories that everything falls under. And I believe that our first responders are burning out at such a rate that, um, like I said, I lost three coworkers to suicide and two of them was over relationships and one was over money. And I just believe that if there were more coaches out there that were focused on the first responder community, then they, and my girlfriend's a nurse as well. She lost a coworker to suicide as well. Um, while at work, she jumped off the roof, you know, I was like, what dry and with, and she has a, a child that's not even a teen yet. So like what drives someone to do that? One of my old supervisors that committed suicide, he was a million dollars in debt because he had opened a business uh, with his wife that was leaving him. And it's like, and he still had young children. Like what drives someone to commit suicide? It's because they lost hope, right? And the greatest acronym that I've ever heard for hope that I use all the time is help one person every day. And if you can do that, you'll never lose hope yourself and you won't feel burnt out. You'll actually feel energized. I was telling you guys that every time I record a podcast, whether I'm the guest or whether I am the host, I always feel energized, especially if I know that it helps someone. So if you help one person every day, you will never lose hope yourself. Uh, that is a fantastic acronym. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Super Dave Leaf, we'd love to ask this question. Um, if you had a billion dollars and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, what would you do with your time? Uh, what would I do with my time? I would continue to, I would continue to go out and educate people. Like I love to empower people, especially if, if, if I'm not doing it for pay and I'm not doing it for money, I'm just doing it for spiritual rewards, right? Like just for my own spirit and my own legacy, like if I could go out and affect more, more money just gives you the ability to be more of yourself. Right. And it just gives you the ability to expand your influence and expand everything. So the whole purpose of having more money is so that you can be more of who you are. And I honestly believe that I'm light and I honestly believe that I'm love and I'm energy. Right. And if I can spread that light and I can spread that love and I can spread that energy to more people and give them hope, that, hey, this guy did it. This guy used to be just a cop. He used to be just a street cop, right? And he used to be a detective. And then he, he went into business and he became successful. And if I could give people hope that, hey, life's not so bad. I used to be 20 pounds heavier, 20 pounds overweight, right? I had a puffy face, right? And I hired a coach and I got results. I lost 20 pounds. And I had friends asking me if I, if I felt all right, because they were like, your, your cheekbones are showing. 
<laughs> like, are you, are you sick? Are you I'm like, no, I'm not sick. But if I had, um, if I had endless capital, I would spend time multiplying myself. You know, like, I, I love technology and I love the idea of nanobots. Like people are afraid of the idea of uh, putting the internet in their head, you know, <laughs> putting a chip. Like if I, if I could have a chip that let me access the internet all the time, um, endless information and have nanobots that fixed my body and, and allowed me to extend my health. I, I would do that shit in a heartbeat. I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Sorry for cussing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Mr. Dave Leaf, you have a book coming out. We'll make sure to have the notes for that for the audience below. We'll also have access to them. Anybody out there that's a first responder or a hero of any kind, as you said, nurse, things of that nature, Super Dave Leaf is definitely somebody worth reaching out to. Um, Dave, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. And go get yourself a coach. And then perhaps use that knowledge and go coach other people. Tell somebody that you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning into this one and we'll catch you on the next one.